0: You are listening to CBS Wire. Okay, so let's see here. Some avocados. And then I'm gonna need some rye bread. Rye bread at three Danish crowns, I think. And... What else am I gonna have for breakfast? Um, maybe something to put on top of the rye bread. We have some pre-cut chicken breasts at 10 corner right here. So at this point you're probably wondering why I've taken you to my local grocery store to do some grocery shopping for me. But today we're actually gonna dive deep into the concept of prices. Why do things cost what they cost? And how come I can get some necessities such as rye bread that's essential for my survival or at least my nutrition for as little as three Danish crowns and if we take it to the extreme how come that I can get a bottle of water that I need to survive here for one and a half Danish crowns while... If I need an absolute luxury, like for example a diamond, I would have to pay several thousand Danish crowns for it. In this week's episode, we're gonna have a talk with Stefan schluck Messen who knows everything about economy and especially why we pay the prices that we do. First of all, we need to talk a bit about prices. A concept that we uh, we all know but uh, it's, it's actually pretty hard to understand because um, if i went out now and bought my girlfriend a diamond i would undoubtedly be uh, the man of the hour but um, wouldn't be the man of the hour long if i couldn't afford fresh water for example and the prices on these two products there's
1: a very very big range so Right now, you're in a good place. You you sit here in a nice, warm country. You're, you, what you value right now is have a good, long life with your girlfriend. So you might want to marry her, right? The value of that is probably close to priceless. I don't think there's something that is necessarily priceless, but in this condition, let's assume it's almost priceless for you. So you're willing to pay something that has a lot of value to communicate that to your girlfriend, right? You want to buy her a diamond ring and ask her to marry, right? It's sort of like, it's some of the most expensive thing you can realistically buy her to show the value of that. Now assume, let's hope not, but let's assume that you crash with a plane in the desert, right? And you meet up with this, um, with this, uh, with with somebody who has a couple of bottle of waters, something that you can now get for nothing. And he says, I'll trade you this for your diamond ring. Well, at that point, you might want to do that swap because now you value your general life better, right? So now that, this is your value. And, and that's so amazing with you as a consumer. That you can make these complete choices based on what you think will improve your situation. You might not be right. You might turn out that an hour later, you're rescued and you come home and your girlfriend's or wife at that time is really angry that you traded your ring. But, you know, so you might not be right, but you can at least make those guesstimates about the future, which is really cool. And nobody else can do that but you, basically. And you can also value all sorts of other things in the price. The price is not just what you pay. You know, nobody buys from an idiot, right? So if you go to the diamond seller today and he's a jerk or sees a jerk, you might say, nah, you know what, I'm gonna go somewhere else, right? I'm gonna give you a lot of money, I don't want to give this to you, right? So you know at that point you have freedom of choice and you can communicate that in the prices. So jerks go out of the market, so to speak, right? <laughs> we get the jerks out. Uh, unless like they have like the one diamond you go from and you might say okay i'm gonna have to trade with that person now assume again you're in the desert and this guy is a real jerk he could save your life He could just split the two bottles of water with you right he would save your life he's literally a jerk like right but now you still decide to to trade with him right And, and and put that in the price right so prices is this Conveyor of extremely complex knowledge that nobody can control in a very simple and spontaneous way. It's 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 truly a marvel. It turns it makes social organization become a result of human action, but not of human design, which is exactly what we want because we can't design in the future. So so,
0: um, for example, uh, the Americans were able to buy acres of land from the Indians, selling one pistol for extreme amounts of of land. That that's kind of the same mechanic. The the Indians weren't in the the loop or the social construction of prices.
1: Um, yeah, kind of like they, it's. So Indians are a little bit complex because they did actually many of them have have had a. They weren't all nomads and stuff. Many of them had agriculture and they had a complex society and stuff like that. But true, they weren't as developed in terms of of doing these things. And we also have to look at what we traded, right? If you are not able to make fancy glass balls, right, or guns. Again, they' are really valuable to you. Imagine some some uh, alien landing out here and gave you whatever is common on their planet. It could be diamonds right there are there are planets where diamonds are plentiful right where they're not rare. We might you know at first trade them for a lot of stuff and then over time, we realized that was a stupid trade right uh, but it goes again with many things, like the Indians are extreme examples, but we can also look at when you're in startups right before I became a researcher, I had my own company and, and I also worked a lot in 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 private equity and these kind of things and, and there's a general rule when you start up a new business is that you start by making a deal and then you work on trying to make that deal better the second time around right so you know at first you just want to have a deal you want to figure out what can you trade this for next time you might want to work with one perimeter it could be the price it could be the delivery term so something like that but you know you learn right there's a learning mechanism here and the prices do that well right the, the, the Indians used the knowledge they had and the uh, the Europeans used the asymmetric knowledge they had. They knew glass was plentiful and knew that in a couple of years it would be very plentiful in this market. Right now it's a scarcity. So, you know, they use that asymmetric information to, well, you can say cheat the Indians. Fair enough. The Indians learned something there, right? So, you know, you you, you grow. And it's the same thing when you do, uh, for instance, pricing negotiations, like we can imagine a tender, for instance. A lot of that is the fact that you might, as a producer, have asymmetric information that impact the price and especially the profit you can take from that price we can get back to what profit is in a moment by using that in a smart way right so so there is this right it's uh, and it's exactly what i'm saying it's it's not a benevolent system it's not something that you know we can automatically guarantee you know to to only give good outcomes what we can say is that it takes into account the fact that people are selfish and generally over time provides good income a good good results so if we if we look since the advent of capitalism the world has generally increased to an immensely amount, right, because of this system and and the free-flowing of this system.
0: So, breakfast is over. So now I'm going to jump down and check my mail because hopefully there's something for me right down here. It certainly looks like it. Yeah, this this is my Roskilde festival ticket and uh, for the 10th time I'm going to Roskilde festival this year, so it's kind of a ritual for me. I remember the first time I went to Roskilde festival and that I paid around 1400 Danish crowns for uh, my festival ticket. This year I paid 2100 Danish crowns for my festival ticket to Roskilde. But how come that the same product can almost double in price during the course of 10 years? Yeah, perfect. And um, after I deliver the diamond ring, if I, for example, choose to take my girlfriend to Roskilde Festival, the ticket prices just during the the time I've been going to Roskilde Festival has almost doubled. And one can say it's kind of, it's exactly the same resource in a way. How how come that some things increase so drastically? Yeah.
1: So the short answer is supply and demand, right? Roskiller Festival is very demanded, so you can charge more prices. Generally what we find though is that most companies are really bad at doing prices. So many can charge more. Roskiller Festival has just been very good at doing it. And they've also been very good at giving you an excuse, right? They say that profit goes to charity, right? So you don't feel that bad paying more. It's quite a smart strategy when you think about it, right? Many companies could do something similar. If you're in a position where you have something a lot of people want and there's a limited capacity, which is what Vascular Festival is, right? And you can also innovate within the type of tickets that you do and these kind of things. However, what we generally see with prices, though, is that they decline over time. Um, and um, this is because companies specialize in what they do, and uh, I'm actually also sure that the cost base of Oscar's Festival have declined over this period. They have become smarter in what they do. Of course, a lot of those people volunteer, so the effect is not as big as it would be in a private company. So, if you if you look at something, even something as 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 like ordinary as butter the price per pound of butter has declined, almost $2 uh, in, in a period of 25 years, right? So, so, you know, that's that's pretty good, right? It's like because we just specialize all the time. And because companies are generally bad at pricing, very few people have pricing policies. You, you would think it's important, but they don't. Uh, they tend to give a lot of this away, right? So they don't have a pricing culture. Uh, so Roskilde Festival is actually an outlier case because they have something, they managed to create something that you want to pay more for, it's actually probably not that important to you that it's that expensive, right? You pay it a lot of time in advance and you, you know you're going to have that week of, of anarchy that you really need, right, to to, uh, to, to, to live your normal life. So, so they managed to find out that there's a willing consumer out there. And again, it's the consumer that decides it. Like if the cost of Roskilde Festival demanded them to erase the prices, but nobody wanted to pay it, they would have a problem, right? They can't get away with it. And this is another thing. Cost, of course, if you now we're get into the profit part, If you don't cover your cost you don't make a profit fine but you cannot be guaranteed to cover your cost lots of companies again do this stupidly they they think of like their cost and they add profit to that and that becomes their price it's a very bad way of doing it right because maybe people want to pay a lot more or maybe people don't want to pay that and then you shouldn't produce it again back to the resources right you know um, it's a really really bad way of pricing like you 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 end up losing value or you end up producing stuff that doesn't work. It actually makes me sad whenever any of these two things happen, right? Um, so uh, so imagine if you go to Roskilde Festival and it's horribly undersold, right? Like there's 25% extra capacity. That would tell them that people are not willing to pay this much and they would have to change some things around, right? Now, if you go there and there's a waiting list of 25%, it tells them people are probably willing to pay a lot more, right? So... Uh, so so this is why basically right it's again back to the choices of the consumer do we have any
0: products or resources that do not change some stables
1: <laughs> we have some that uh, people would would like to have stable i would say it like that right so we um so if for instance some of the stuff where we have giving a non-competitive monopoly Right? So monopoly in itself is not a problem, right? As long as it's competitively based, right? That's fine. But a non competitive monopoly, we could say public transportation, for instance, right? Those are probably given to them in the hope that those prices would not change, other than with inflation and stuff like that. However, we see them changing a lot. They're actually also rising, right? Generally. Again because they're not competitive. So the competing forces of the market that would discipline your resource use it's not there right so you can just okay i have a problem now i'm spending too much money i'll just raise the price again cost plus your price um so so i i think there's a desire for something to not be like that another example could be money right i mean the fact that we put a we have national banks that put interest rate on money is also a way to try to keep the price of that at a certain level whether it works is another thing right that that is often very hard Again, also because the world is uncertain and changing, right? So there can be competing offers and competing stuff, and you have no idea what people consider competing, right? So take the lunch example again. I might decide not to buy a lunch up there because I rather want to buy something completely different, a comic book or something like that, something that's not even food, right? You know, you can't, you can't put that in there, right? So, no, it's, it's it's hard. I mean, you can probably find some examples. I can't think of any right now where it's stable. I can think of people, places where where there's a desire to keep them stable right but it's hard to do Um.
0: okay perfect if we uh, return Mm -hmm. to my Roskilde festival trip um, i need to get some beers (laughs) for the camping life Mm -hmm. how come that if i travel to germany Mm -hmm. and buy all my beer it's so much cheaper than here in denmark Mm -hmm. where it's actually
1: the same resource see this is really interesting because is it cheaper though Right, because when you think about the fact that you have to go to Germany, right, and you have to transport them and stuff like that, it might not be that cheaper. That depends again on what's your supply to the market, right? If you make no money, right, it might still be cheaper because you have no opportunity cost of going to Germany. If you're like a high-flying CEO of a bank or someplace like that, your opportunity cost of going there would like be insane, right? Like you, you, you should rather just stay and work and pay the extra price, right? So, so that is this price and part of the valuation. Now, consumers can get that horribly wrong, right? They can think of just the price of the good or, or maybe they can make a valuation saying, oh, I want to go to Germany anyway because I think it's a fun trip. You know, you might have a warm-up to Roskilde with your friends going there and stuff like that. And, you know, fine, right? Then there's, again, more value in there. Again, this is what we, what's very hard to, to put into it. If we then look at the price of the actual beer down there, Well, some of this is institutionally based, right? There's different taxes, right? So that obviously impacts the price you pay. And you can work with that, right? You can, can, for instance, try to get people to eat more vegetables by not having taxes on that. Um, one of my favorite examples is I, I don't really don't understand why we have uh, VAT on female hygiene products. I mean that's a tax on being a woman. If you if you calculate that out, that turns out that a, a minimum wage woman have to work an entire month of her life just to pay the taxes on a fe- on a female hygiene product. I think that's extremely unfair. Uh, but for some reason we decided. On a government level that if, if VAT should just be the same it's two bad women right uh, in Germany they do it differently uh, they have like a different VAT for different products so that can impact a lot and they might have decided you know that beer should have a lower VAT because it's locally produced right that could be one thing this also leads to another thing is the fact that resources cost different things at different places right so if with beer is an interesting example because if you go down to to a Danish supermarket now and buy a blue ribbon beer which is a cheap beer in the US, a really cheap beer. It costs like two dollars in a bar. In a bar, right? It costs like probably one dollar or something or fifty cents or something in a supermarket over there. And down here it's more expensive than most premium Danish beers, right? Because you want it imported, right? Now you have to pay for all the shipping and you have to pay for all these things, right? Now if you go to Germany and they might have very nice beer that is sourced locally, of course it's cheaper, right? So then you know they decided to pass some of those savings onto the consumer. Um, that might or might not have been a smart move, right? We don't know, but it could. Have, that's what they choose to do. So that's one of the reasons it's, it's institutionally compa- dependent, but it's still dependent on your situation as a consumer, right? If it's smart to go down there and buy those kind of things, right? So
0: what better way to celebrate my newly bought Roskilde ticket than uh, with a green to board the classic beer? But how come this beer? <laughs> Cost less than this beer at Kulkhon. Now, I ventured into the Copenhagen nightlife, where the beers are a whole lot more expensive than what I buy at my local grocery store. But how come there's this price difference? I can go to a bar or a venue or something like that and pay, I don't know, 100, 120 uh, Danish crowns for a beer at at some point or two beers maybe but what mechanisms
1: allows them to sell sell, the, sell me a beer yeah. at that price? This is uh, this is more like con- uh, contractual, we would say, right? So you probably basically, by buying a ticket to this place, agreed to a contract that you're now under certain club rules, we would say, right? And part of the club rules here is that you're not allowed to bring your own drinks, right? So uh, because they know you can't do that and you want to get drunk, they now have a chance to charge you a premium, right? Uh, They would probably argue that if they don't do that, they would have to raise ticket prices. Maybe that is true, right? Uh, There are some interesting outliers here. If you look at, for instance, strip clubs in the U.S., they would often like change whether or not it costs something to get in, but then of course the beer prices will be equally expensive, right? So, um, so, so, and then you will be like, you have to pay a buy a two drink minimum, for instance. So yeah, it's cheap to get, it's free to get in, but you know you have to buy these big prices, right? Um, or the other way around, like uh, if you go to, to states where where these kind of places are not allowed to sell you alcohol, right, there's places like that, then you know the ticket price is equally expensive, right? Um, so it has to do with that. It has to do with the fact that now you signed a contract saying that, you know, you're sort of giving away some of your consumer choice to this, right? You also cannot defend anything. You have to get whatever they they will sell you, right, or nothing at all. Now, I mentioned the strip clubs before. That actually reminds me of a fun example, if we uh, can have time with that. This is a great example of, like, how, how do you actually know what your competition are in terms of pricing? There is a study in America where you, where you try to find out why do people go to the strip clubs anyway, right? Like um, It seems like such a weird thing to do when you think about it, right? Um, um, so they went in, and then they said, okay, um, they, they looked at the cost structure, and the cost structure is like, maybe you pay something to get in, probably not, and then there's like a two-drink minimum. Then the dancers are up there. There's probably four dancers in, the, in, in an hour, and then they go around, and you give them some tips, and depending on how much tip you give them, they stay and talk with you for longer, right? So let's say four dancers per hour, maybe three, whatever, four, three, and you pay anywhere between like $1, $2 to maybe $20 to these people. Anyway, let's assume you're pretty cheap, so you just buy the two drink minimum. You give like, like a, a, in average, uh, a couple of dollars these people. So you're out for an hour there. You're out maybe thirty bucks. Okay, in that hour, uh, what will have happened? Well, you have had a chance to talk to a lot of people, just listen to you. The basic don't really care about you and your problem, but you can just talk to them, right? Because you gave them some money. What's the alternative to that? That's a psych- psychiatrist that costs one hundred and fifty dollars per hour. And actually, they found that when interviewing people who frequent strip clubs over there, many of them argue that the alternative would be a $150 psychiatrist. Now, I'm absolutely sure people who study psychiatry don't think that their competition is strippers. But it might actually be, right? Because of prices.
0: And now, dear listener, we're going to take the seemingly impossible way from American strip clubs to economic superpowers. Because I simply had to ask our PhD fellow, Stefan slug what would happen if we got rid of the concept of prices as we know it in bars, grocery stores and festivals?
1: If we imagine another system, maybe we had like a central planning board deciding like, you know, aluminium should be better than steel or, you know, diamonds should be less than water because water is a necessity, right? You could something like that like first of all just on a technical level imagine the complexity of doing that like will we have to submit a form to somebody who decided it or will we have to put it in a big computer and stuff but it's even worse than that it's even worse than that because even if we had the technical capacity we couldn't do it because the knowledge didn't exist yet right we have lots of examples of this it is a very complex issue and i think the best examples is actually the soviet union if we think back to that um because the Soviet Union tried to do it at wayward prices and it didn't work, right? They, they had to put prices back in there. But they didn't have a market to settle it. So a lot of the agents, the KGB agents that, that went around in, the, in Europe at that time and in, in the US, they were actually collecting price lists. We think that that sounds so, so strange today, right? Today you can just go on the internet and find the price of most things. But back then you would have to go to fairs or you would pretend to be interested in buying something. And then they would get these price lists and then it would like encrypt them and send them over the Iron Curtain where it would be decrypted and went to the Central Committee. So the Central Committee was actually able to function this long because they did get some prices, but they were always behind. And this is one of the reasons why we saw these weird allocation of resources in, in the communist countries when the wall came down and, and why they were like, we thought they were on sort of the same level as us when the wall came down. They were, like, they were like decades behind because of this. And, um, and you, can just, you can just imagine like, you know, how would you decide, especially with new technology, what if that's a better use than existing if you don't have prices, right? Another example that comes to mind in this is um, also from the Soviet Union, because that's, that's like easy to relate to, is Khrushchev, who was heading the Soviet Union. He said in '64 that according to their five-year plans and all this idea about central planning, the large economy, um, they would outdo uh, the U.S. in production of steel and in concrete by the year uh, '84. And they did actually make that goal, and they made it before that. They made an 80, but that wasn't because they were more efficient than the U.S. or the Western Europe. It was because at that point we were starting producing plastic, silicon, and microchips, something they didn't have anything close to an industrial scale production of. Well, maybe for plastic, but not for the other ones. And they simply didn't pick up on that. They didn't pick up on the fact that the economy moved to more efficient uses. <laughs>
0: With that, we say goodbye to our very own price expert Stefan Slug massen I hope you have gained a better understanding of those digits who so often determines what we will have for dinner, what our holiday destination will be, and what Christmas presents to buy for our loved ones. If you like what you heard, go follow CBS Wire on Facebook, subscribe to us on iTunes, and most importantly, tell all your friends. You have listened to CBS Wire.